Hello, Misfits. Hi, Misfits. This is Kevin. That was weird. And this is Kate. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Horrorwood Post Thanksgiving Edition. I like your cord. Thank you. It's like a robin's egg blue. It's actually a seafoam green, but same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I had to buy a new one because our other one gave out. It was on the fritz. It was sad, but you know what? Our amazing Patronian subscribers help us pay for things like that. They do. Thank you. You all deserve to not have microphones cutting out on you, and so thank you to the subscribers. In fact, thank you to our new subscriber who joined the accomplice tier, Sarah Pearson Moyers Jordan. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. We love your support. We love all of your support, paid or not. You're all amazing. We have the most amazing listeners. Welcome to the club. It sounds a little culty when we say that. I mean, but in a good way. If yes. Because yeah, yes. all, all cult members are, are like, good. <laughs> they're like, but my cult is there. Okay. By the way, I saw your picture of oh. David Brant Berg. Mm-hmm. No wonder that guy had to start a cult to get laid. He was a troll oh living under a bridge with his hippie ideals and his evangelicalism yike messed up oh that's an episode over on the patreon listeners um i covered rose mcgowan and the children of god cult but you can see the pictures on instagram on instagram yeah whether you're paid or not so just know that that guy decided to start his own religion slash cult Mm-hmm. And it's a wild one. It's really upsetting. I feel like today's also going today to be upsetting. Today is also going to be very upsetting, Kate. Great. So, oh, also, happy Thanksgiving. It already happened. It already happened. I know, but I just wanted to say oh, okay. that to your face. <laughs> I was like, even in real life, it already happened. No, I know, it already happened. I hope everyone had a nice holiday. I hope so, too, because you know what? Family time can be stressful. Holidays can be stressful. It's a lot of personalities, a lot of energy. <laughs> A lot of anxiety. Okay. Uh, it's just a lot all yeah. around. So I hope you're all doing okay. We Take are a here breath. Yeah. to give you some murder. Distract you with horrific things. Yeah. I saw Thanksgiving in theaters. How was it? I loved it. Oh, good. I really loved it. Everybody could get a chance to go see it. Eli Roth directed. It's a horror movie slasher. It's, think in the vein of Scream with some like comedy. Okay. Um, really brutal, violent killings. It also felt a bit satirical to me because like the whole opening is like a Black Friday Oh, Massacre. okay. Are we supporting Eli Roth? I can't remember what the stance is on him right now because of know what... some things he has said. I don't know. We might have to look into that. But... I don't know. But I liked the movie aside from whatever he's done. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> I understand that that's problematic, but I do recommend that movie. All right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Today I am covering serial killer Ed Game. Dun, dun, dun. I might not have the correct pronunciation of his last name. I thought it was Gein. Gein or Gain. I've heard it both ways. Or Gein. Or Gein. Uh-oh. Gino. Ooh. No. Oh. That's that's a that's a you know, I'm not even gonna talk that's about it. That's another yet. episode. Well, for no, another podcast. No, it'll be this episode. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna look it up real quick so I don't fuck it up. Okay. Give me two seconds, I apologize. That's great. Love it. Keen. I was right. Okay. Just wanted to check. I don't want to, you know, mispronunciations. If any of you have heard me try to pronounce eight Italian names in succession, (laughs) you understand. It happens. It happens. I know I talk a lot about horror movies on this podcast. What? I just did. Oh, my goodness. my God. Uh, It's my thing. Is it now? It is. And we consistently discuss 
the intersection of the supernatural mm-hmm. and real life events in spooky films. Yes. Right? But when it comes to ghosts and demons like Pazuzu in The Exorcist Pazuzu. or the hauntings experienced by the uh, Lutz family in the Amityville Horror House, mm-hmm. yeah. um, we have the option to give in to those supernatural elements or just completely dismiss them as a hoax. Don't believe it. Total bullshit type sure. thing. But how often do we hear characters in scary movies or parents say to children, like, don't worry, it isn't real. Yeah. It's not real. All the time. Tell myself that every time I watch a horror movie. (laughs) I tell myself that when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) It's it's a simulation. (laughs) It doesn't matter. None of it's real. (laughs) Back to sleep. But the most terrifying monsters are among us, Kate. Oh. And I can assure you, Misfits, they are very real. Oh, damn. They inspire the horror genre with the terrifying existential realization that the worst can, in fact, happen to you at any time and no one is always safe. Great. (laughs) This is really good for my anxiety right now. Loving it. Yay. I started adding, um, I'm starting to make espresso in my little mocha pot. (laughs) You were going to say, I'm starting to make a little anxiety pill cocktail. <laughs> I'm a witch oh, now. I see. And let's talk after. Okay. No, I started making my own espresso and putting it in my iced coffee. We need to have a conversation about this another time, the espresso in the coffee, but we'll save that for later. Okay. <laughs> Today, we're talking about like an OG killer, serial killer. Mm-hmm. And you know the movies that this inspired. Yep. Psycho. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Silence of the Lambs, Mm -hmm. all were inspired by one man's macabre descent into madness and obsession. This is a story of serial killer Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield, also known as the Plainfield Ghoul. This story is so gross. I I had to have some wine last night to, to... right through it all right i'm here for it i'm ready here we go disgust me (laughs) yes edward theodore gein was born on august 27th 1906 in lacrosse wisconsin uh he was born to augusta wilhelmine gein and george philip gein okay he was the second of two boys with an older brother named henry and here we already run into one of the serial killer benchmarks His mother, Augusta, was deeply and fervently religious. religious. How did I know that's what you were going to say? Always. Always talking about it. God is a witness. I don't know what that means. We're not here to. Which is never a good sign. We're not here to, like, crap on anyone's No, 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 no. no. Absolutely not. We just, if it's taken to extremes, it's a problem. Yeah, it's the extremist part of it. Extremist. I don't have any problem with anything else, but Okay. She was a devout member of the Lutheran faith and constantly preached about how immoral the entire world was. She just was not having any of it. All right. She shamed drinking and sex, basically anything that's good. She sounds like a real fun time. Yeah, and believed that all women were sex objects, naturally promiscuous, and instruments of the devil. And yet she is a woman. Yeah. This is what is so bizarre to me. I know, right? I mean... Like, I wonder if there was a lot, so much self-hatred buried in there as well. I mean, there's there's there something deep-seated. Yeah. Um, I believe she used to say that women were vessels of sin. I mean, I know I am. <laughs> Me too, Kate. I sinned at least twice today. Hey. <laughs> and the day's not over yet. Each afternoon, August... Oh, sorry. Augusta would read passages from the Bible in the Old Testament and the Book of Revelation. Good times were had by all, I'm sure, I wrote <laughs> at the end of this sentence. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. I'm writing jokes. Ed's father, George, was a raging alcoholic oh who my. could not hold a job down to save his life. Gene's father uh, had once owned a local grocery store in La Crosse, oh. but gave it up to move his family out to the country onto a 155-acre farm in the small town of Plainfield, Wisconsin. Okay. The move from Lacrosse to Plainfield was his mother's doing. Mm. She insisted that they move from what she called a sinkhole of filth. Oh, okay. Good times, right? Sorry for all the people in Lacrosse. 
Yeah, it's not. I'm sure. I haven't looked up. I'll look up pictures. Watch I look it up and it's just like. <laughs> it's just like a landfill. His mother utilized living on the farm to isolate her children from the evils of the outside world. Oh, I hate this. She did not want them under the spell of any influence. Ed and Henry would only leave the farm to attend school. That's it. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, they would mainly spend time doing farm work. Such a such a lovely childhood, it seems. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to interact with anyone. Nope. Just doing farm chores all Don't day. Don't know what's happening out in the world. Ugh. Only what your parents tell you. Mm-hmm. Yikes. From a young age, Ed was often viewed as being a quiet and shy kid. Okay. He had a lazy eye and a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So that didn't help other kids try to like glom onto him his classmates and teachers observed some strange behaviors like fits of laughing to himself i don't necessarily find this weird i think of funny things all the time and i laugh to myself constantly so i don't know if that's an issue or if i have a problem well i mean you you do have some issues and problems but um no just kidding (laughs) i'm kidding burn Um, I'm wondering, was it like a form of Tourette's or something? I don't know. I don't think so. I think because he wasn't able to socialize yeah. normally, I think he probably created his own entertainment his, yep. in his head. His which, own world. Yeah, in his own little world, mm-hmm. which, why not? Well, I mean, I yeah, what else is he going to do? Yeah, exactly. Also, he was probably perceived as a little strange because his mother also would not let him have any friends. That's so, fucked up. Yeah. Any socialization with other children in or outside of school was prohibited. And Ed would be punished for it. Besides, what was his punishment? I, did, I don't know what they did. Mm. I would assume some kind of like grounding or physical violence. Ugh. But I, uh, that's just speculation. Okay. I didn't find what they did. Aside from not having the ability to establish social connections and form friendships, Gein did pretty well in school actually okay uh, particularly particularly in the subject of reading okay Gein's life was sheltered on the isolated farm where he only had his family for any kind of company <sighs> however on april 1st 1940 his father george died from heart failure uh, that was brought on by his alcoholism mm, yeah he was only 66 years old at his passing oh wow Ed and his brother Henry took odd jobs around town to try and bring in some extra income to the family farm. Sorry, I have to pause. I'm just thinking of being isolated with my family and having just spent Thanksgiving with (laughs) them. You were just isolated with them. I would not do well. (laughs) And and Ed doesn't, so... (laughs) So here we go. This is the trajectory Yikes. that we are all <laughs> on right now. Let's, let's breathe. Let's, you know, shake it out. They would act as handymen. And Ed used to babysit for neighbors all the time. Okay. Ed liked babysitting, most likely because he found it easier to socialize with, socialize with children than adults it's probably the only time he's getting to see other people at all exactly and i mean that makes sense because considering all the adults in his life were super domineering and just like not fun to be around i could see why he'd probably enjoy the company of like younger children yeah and how old was he around this time so he so this is 1940 when his father died and he was born in 1906 so he's like 34 oh oh okay that's that's putting it into a different perspective it for is, me. You know, and I'm not different. He's terrible. I was like, oh, he's 16 and he's babysitting. No, yeah, I get it. No. He's older. Okay. But I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that anything of malintent was happening okay. at this time because, you know, there's a turning point in his life story where all it all goes south. I see. And this isn't. It, this yet. isn't it. Okay. It isn't. Yeah. So I don't. I see what you're saying. Like, like it is a little weird for like a thirty-some-year-old man to babysit yeah. kids. But we're talking like Plainfield, very small community. Sure. You know, everybody knows everybody. I, I don't think anything bad was happening yet. Okay. It was after their father's death when Henry began dating a divorced mother of two and made the decision to move in with her. 
Okay. However, Henry worried about Ed and his unhealthy attachment to his mother, Augusta. As, like, domineering and crazy as she was, Mm -hmm. he was, like, mama's boy, 100%. And he's the youngest. He's the youngest. He, like, glommed onto her, and they had, like, what I'm assuming is, like, a codependent relationship. Yeah. Henry did not like his mother. Like, he didn't take the same fancy to her as Ed did. Mm -hmm. And he would talk shit about her in front of Ed, which would really make him upset. Mm, Yeah. Because I think he was just trying to see, make him see like she's not. Like the reality of the situation. Yeah, like she's not a good person. Mm -hmm. Like she has control over you. Like, And that's hard to see when you're in it, regardless of the relationship, but especially a a parent-child relationship. And especially that's gone on for so long. Like this is adulthood. Mm -hmm. Like they're in their 30s now. Yeah. A lot. So unfortunately, oh yeah. So unfortunately, on May sixteenth, I don't, I don't know why I'm saying that. I wrote that, wrote this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about <laughs> that. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. <gasps> unfortunately, on May sixteenth, nineteen forty four, Henry would meet his demise on the farm. Oh no. Ed and he were burning marsh vegetation, um, just burning it off, and the fire got way out of hand oh, no. uh, the local fire department saw flames from afar and they ran over and quickly put it out however in that commotion ed and henry got separated and like he couldn't find oh henry. No. so he reported to authorities that henry's missing like i mm-hmm. don't know where he is a big search party went out looking for him i couldn't find exactly where he was found i think it might have been on the property like it, it was a big farm. Yeah. So I'm assuming they found him on the property eventually. Sure. Um, I wonder he if was... he was like trying to get something to put the fire out or something. Well. Oh. Uh, he oh, was no. found dead, laying face down. Mm-hmm. The cause of death couldn't have been the fire. There weren't any burns or fire-related injuries on his body. Oh, weird. It appeared that he had died of heart failure. Oh. It was later reported that Henry had bruises on his head at the time of his demise. Oh, no. The police rejected any notion of foul play here and ruled the death as asphyxiation, probably from smoke inhalation. But they didn't actually... No, they didn't look at him or do an autopsy or anything. Weird. Yeah, I would assume that it was caused by smoke from the fire. No official investigation into the death was launched, and an autopsy of the body was not performed. It was never proven, but there is some speculation that Ed may have allegedly killed his brother. Yeah, because how would how would he have had bruises? Yeah, they don't know. But they didn't even look into it, so. Great job, guys. Good job. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not confirmed, but it's it seems likely to me that Henry would died by foul play. Yeah. Potentially by Ed. Speculating. Henry's passing left Ed and his mother Augusta alone on the farm together. Oh, that's not great. Nope. I can only imagine how that went. Was there any sexual relationship between Ed and his mother? Not that I found or read about. Okay. As we go on with this story, I think that maybe potentially there was feelings of that, but I don't know that they were ever like acted upon you I know see. what I mean just based on what he does after which I'll tell you okay Ugh. shortly after Henry's death she had a big stroke oh Gein devoted his time to caring for her and I wrote what a wonderful and beautiful codependent relationship now that he's the only son and she's his only parent I could see him I mean especially with their relationship already but even if it weren't that I could see him feeling this obligation to care for her I could see that too as someone who also had to take care of an ailing parent I th- I I'm bringing my own outlook on that I see. to it so bear with me here <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry it's just like, uh, let, let me bring my therapy into this <laughs> and explain to you guys. But you'll see why I'm thinking this as we move along. All right. Augusta had another very bad stroke and passed away Ooh. on December 29th, 1945, at the age of 67. Oof. Ed was absolutely devastated by Well, now death. he's the only one left in his family. And would never really recover from that trauma. And he also has no friends and doesn't know how to interact with people. Yeah. So he's so like isolated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
it sucks. It's just bad circumstances. But again, that doesn't mean that that turns you into a monster. It just means I think that it contributes in some way I, yeah, to that, whatever that snap is. Mm-hmm. He held on to the family farm and made a living by performing odd jobs around town. Okay. Ed boarded up the rooms that his mother used so as to keep them untouched by anyone else but her. This included the upstairs, the downstairs parlor, and the living room. He began to make the house a sort of shrine to his mother. Mm. Gein would end up living in a small room that was right by the kitchen. In 1951, he started receiving a farm subsidy from the federal government, so a little extra money was coming in. Is your mic okay? You know, yeah, I, I, I'm telling <laughs> like, you, there is a hair, and it's like floating right in front of my face. <laughs> I hate that. I also have a weird, like, gray hair that grows really long out of the side of my ear. That is weird. Isn't that gross? And I just, I've, I'll feel it now and then and just yank it right. <clears throat> and then I'll toss it to the wind and make a wish. So, Gein had a little extra money coming in from the government. Uh, he would also go on to work for the local municipal road crew and crop threshing crews in the Plainfield, Wisconsin area. Okay. It's reported that Ed also sold an 80-acre piece of land that uh, used to belong to his brother Henry. So Was it on the same property? I think it was nearby. I don't oh, know that it okay. was actually like part of that 155 acres. Gotcha. I think Henry had, his had own. acquired it. Okay. Yeah. Ed Gein was fully alone after his mother's death. Unsocialized, quiet, and missing the one person that he loved and who loved him back. He sunk into his own obsessions, filling his days by researching Nazi medical experiments, learning about human anatomy, and consuming pornography and horror novels. And I just want to point out that you can certainly be interested in all of those things and engage with them in a healthy way. But what was the Nazi thing? Uh, Nazi medical experiments. Mm, I'm going to say you can't be interested in that in a healthy way. I don't know. I'm I'm morbidly fascinated by it. Like, it's terrible and horrible and disgusting. But, like, there is something about it to me that's, like, kind of fascinating in a more historical light. You know, like, that's crazy that they were doing all those things. Okay. What were the other things? <laughs> Kate's like, as this story goes along, you're realizing that like these traits are like me. <laughs> I'm like, and you're Kevin, like, I, I, did... I think we should just end for today. Also, I got the hair that was on my yes! microphone. So thank you very much. Of course. Oh, the other things were learning about human anatomy. Okay. Uh, consuming pornography and right. horror novels. Oh, okay. The only thing I'm having is, is the I'm struggling with experiments. is the, That's, yeah. I, fair enough. I'll say fair enough. Okay. I don't research that, by the way. I just, I meant, I. <laughs> you don't have to explain yourself. I just it. meant that I, like, I could see why someone might be fascinated by that stuff. Okay. Being, however, being alone and fixated on consuming gore and violence was feeding some pretty dark and repressed fantasies. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, it wouldn't be long until Ed started acting on these fantasies. No one really suspected anything was going on at the quiet Gein farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin, but it was nothing but horror. Isn't that wild how that can happen? Like, I hear that all the time when there's, I mean, look at John Wayne Gacy. It's like just a regular old suburban house. You truly never know what is going going on on. behind closed doors. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I like the guys downstairs, but I don't know what they're doing. Ed's unconscionable crimes. I love that word. Would not be discovered until the morning of November 16th, 1957, when 58-year-old hardware store owner Bernice Worden vanished. Oh, no, Bernice. The hardware store's truck was seen leaving the rear of the store building at 930 in the morning. Not many customers visited the store that day, probably because it was deer hunting season in that area. Uh, Bernice's son, Frank Worden, was the Plainfield deputy sheriff at the time. Okay. Uh, He came into the store at around 5 p.m. where he found a gruesome sight. The cash register was open and there were bloodstains on the floor. Bernice was nowhere to be found. Mm. Frank told investigators that Ed Gein had been in the store the evening before his mother's disappearance. He was supposed to be returning to the hardware store that morning for a gallon of antifreeze. 
The sales receipt for the antifreeze was the last receipt that was written that morning. Gein was arrested at a West Plainfield grocery store and the Washera, W-A-U-S-H-A-R-A, I'm just going to say Washera, County Sheriff's Department went over to the farm to look around and do a search. Sure. Thinking that, you know, Bernice might be there. She was. Mm. Um, On the evening of November 16th, officers entered the Gein farm. What they found was beyond anything that they could have expected. There, in a shed on the property. Now, I read two different accounts. Okay. Where Bernice's body was found. This one said a shed and one said in the kitchen. Oh. So I'm not sure which it was. Um, But the other details do line up. Okay. So there was the decapitated body of Bernice Warden. Decapitated. She had been hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. She had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle. The torso had been split open and flayed out like a deer. Oh. The mutilations happened after her death. This is an awful thing, but like this image kind of stands out to me just being from like rural West Virginia and Mm -hmm. being in town during deer hunting season. It's just like this really sort of macabre thing. I remember like getting in the car with my mom because she taught in the school district that I went to. And so she would drive me to school and, you know, we'd be driving through the town at like seven in the morning and it's, you know, foggy in November Mm -hmm. and you're just seeing all these deer carcasses hanging from trees just like flayed open. Is that how they... Well, yeah, you have to string them up and cut oh, them open and okay. get all this stuff out. And okay. And then you can, you know... I. Th- it's, been a, it's been a minute since I've since hunted you've my deer. Since you deer, yeah. <laughs> I've never done it. Um, um, I do say it, it was just a horrible sight, but yeah. the jerky that that made was amazing. Stop. I can't. Please, no, I can't even think about jerky in an episode like this. Whoa. My mom's students would bring her, like, bags of deer jerky. So, I can't think sorry. about it. Sorry. Anyway, moving on. Oh, here we go, Kate. Listeners, skip forward two minutes if you can't handle really gruesome stuff. Can I skip forward two minutes? <laughs> no, Kate leaves and then comes back. <laughs> you have to edit this. Oh, yeah. I have to listen to it no matter what. <laughs> okay, but the body of Bernice Warden was not the only atrocious sight the deputies at the Gein farm would find. After searching the farm and house, authorities found the following. Oh. It's a list. Ooh. Whole human bones and fragments. A wastebasket made of human skin. Oh. Human skin covering several chairs. Oh! Skulls on bedposts. I can't. Female skulls, some with the tops sawn off. Bowls made from human skulls. <gasps> Corset made from the female torso skinned from shoulders to waist. What? Leggings made from human leg skin. Masks made from the skin of female heads. A face mask in a paper bag i have a there's a name of a person here but i don't want to mention it yet until we get to her story okay Uh, a skull in a box bernice warden's entire head in a burlap sack bernice warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of gain's potbelly stove oh my god nine vulva in a shoe box what i i i know don't have words i know a young girl's dress and, quote, the, the, oh, this is gross, the, the vulvas of two females <gasps> judged to have been about 15 years old. Oh, my God. A belt made from female human nipples. I don't even know how that's possible. Well, I don't know how any of this is possible, but, like, a, okay, I'm just going to move on. Four noses. Ooh. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Fingernails from female fingers. That's the end of the list. Okay, imagine how that house smelled. Well, so I read in doing the research, um, his father and he like were tanners, which is like skin, Uh, like mm -hmm. hide tanning. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what he was doing to all that stuff. I don't think it was just fresh. I think he was like tanning it or doing whatever you do to animal skin to make it useful. Oh, um, gross. Yes. Yeah. It's really bad. All of these things were photographed by the state crime laboratory and then decently disposed of, is what it said. I don't know what that means, though. Okay. Gein was questioned about everything, and it, he admitted 
to the crimes. He did a lot of grave robbing Ooh. to get most of these things, making almost 40 visits in the night to three local graveyards in the Plainfield area. He would exhume buried bodies while he was in a self-described daze-like state. He said he was in a daze. Hmm. Gein mentioned that there were times where he would come out of the daze while uncovering the bodies and just go home completely empty-handed. What? Yeah. Gein would usually dig up graves of recently dead and buried middle-aged women that he felt resembled his mother. Mm. He would take the bodies home and tan their skins to make his paraphernalia. Ed admitted to stealing from nine graves and showed law enforcement where they were located exactly. Since the women that Gein stole were recently deceased, the graves usually weren't fully like completed yet. Uh-huh. So it was easier for him to, to dig. dig them up. Um, he would also return some parts of them and jewelry to the grave sites. That's interesting that he returned the jewelry. Mm-hmm. Here's where things uh, turn even a little more macabre and where we start to see elements of famous horror movies start to show a little more. Okay. So after Gein's mother's death, this whole thing he did, he had the idea to create a woman suit, mm. not like a pantsuit or you know anything, a suit made entirely of women's skin. Oh. I am like clutching myself so hard right now <laughs> to so keep gross. my skin on. I'm like, don't let anyone take it. He admitted he wanted to do this so that he could become his mother. Literally crawl Ugh. inside of her skin. Oh, yeah, I'd say that's a codependent relationship. Gein said that he did not sexualize the bodies or perform any kind of sex sex on them because they smelled too bad. Okay. But since Bernice Warden was a live person that Gein killed and mutilated there had to be other missing people out there right I was gonna ask if she was the first one or just the first oh he just shook his head no Gein confessed that he had murdered 51 year old Mary Hogan a tavern owner in nearby Pine Grove that had been missing since December 8th 1954 Mm. Gein frequented that tavern her head was found in Gein's house along with a mask of her face oh Gein denied memory of the details of her death. Do we believe him that he doesn't remember? So I don't, I don't think, I don't know, because he does have some medical diagnoses later on. Okay. Which does not excuse any of this. Of course. But I wonder about the, like, trance-like state that he would go into. Yeah. I just, I wonder if that was a real thing or if he just said that. Mm-hmm. So as it usually goes with these serial killer stories, there are several other notable disappearances that Gein is suspected of in Wisconsin. Okay. Authorities confronted Ed with a list of people that they were looking into at the time. Unfortunately, nothing panned out from this. Gein was giving lie detector tests, uh, which was given lie. You know, let me just take it back. Yeah, let take me it back. Roll it back real quick, Kate. Gein was given lie detector tests, mm-hmm. which are bullshit anyway. Sure. But at this time, they had much more merit, mm, right? I see. So those tests came back that he was telling the truth that he did had nothing to do with those other disappearances. Oh, um, okay. And he was exonerated from that list of suspected additional victims. So I just need to say that these are, I'm going to talk about them. Okay. And why they might be related, but it was never proven. It was never given, I think, more merit than it could have or should have been given Mm. um so we don't know okay so bernice and uh mary and mary hogan and bernice warden were the two living women that he killed and that he admitted and that he admitted to killing okay four psychiatrists concluded that ed's fixation was only directed toward women that resembled his mother making it less likely that he was involved in the other disappearances because they didn't fit the victim profile right okay Bless you. What's happening over here? I honestly think it's this closet. Because I feel like the second I step into this closet, like, I'm constantly clearing my throat. You're sneezing. You're burping. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I would not do that in here. That's mean. But eventually, I'd like to move up to my office whenever I can get it soundproofed, which is going to be a while. Let's put egg cartons all over the walls. Can you imagine? (laughs) That'd be fun. Uh, Okay, so Georgia Jean... Weckler, who was an eight-year-old. Uh, she had disappeared from her 
farmhouse in nearby Fort Atkinson on May 1st, 1947. She had been given a lift home from school by a neighbor who dropped her off at the lane that led from U.S. Highway 12 to the Weckler farm, to her family's farm. Oh, okay. Weckler was last seen pausing to open the mailbox at the end of the road, pulling out the mail, and that was the last time she was ever seen. People who saw her checking the mail reported seeing a dark-colored vehicle, which was a 1936 Ford sedan with a gray plastic spotlight in the vicinity that afternoon. Okay. Gein owned a black 1937 Ford. Mm. But that, I don't know. So are you thinking like maybe people knew that he had that kind of vehicle and they're like, oh, you know what? That is the one that I saw. I think that's probably what. Mm. You know, he gets, you know, he gets caught and admits to all of this horrific stuff. Of course, people are going to be like, well, maybe he's connected to this. Sure. And maybe he did this and that. And it just, unfortunately... We don't know. We don't know, and it was never proven. Okay. So I'm telling you these, but I'm also, like, take it with a grain of salt, because who knows if he was even involved or anything, you Mm -hmm. know? It's the time, the place, the... Right. It's all the other things outside of it that we can't really make a determination on. Okay. But I still think it's interesting to talk about, you know, potential Mm -hmm. connections. So there's also a 15-year-old named Evelyn Grace Hartley who went missing while she was babysitting a 20-month-old girl um, at the home of a lacrosse state college professor, Viggo Rasmussen, on October 24th, 1953. That evening, her father, Richard, called the Rasmussen house a few times after she failed to check in at uh, Mm. 8.30, and he didn't receive any kind of answer. So naturally, he's freaking out, and he goes over to the Rasmussen house only to find that the doors are locked, the lights and radio are on, and there's items just kind of scattered all over the house. Uh, The living room furniture had been moved all around to different places. Weird. um, Along with Evelyn's school books as well. Richard found her shoes in different rooms. One was upstairs and another one was downstairs, uh, and he found Hmm. a pair of her broken glasses upstairs. Richard did not find Evelyn in the house. After Gein's, Gein's arrest, he was questioned regarding, regarding M- Evelyn's disappearance, but he denied any involvement, passed those lie detector tests, and police didn't find any trace of Evelyn's remains during the search of his property. Okay. Because if he's he's killing to make this skin suit. So everything that he takes, he's keeping and u- utilizing. Right. Usually that we know. Okay. You know, I don't know... You know what I mean? I mean, why all the vulvas? I, I don't know, Kate. Okay. Victor Harold Travis, who was 41, was a resident of Adams County nearby. He went off deer hunting in the company of his 43-year-old acquaintance, Raymond Burgess, who was a resident of Milwaukee on November 1st, 1950. Okay. In the late afternoon, the pair stopped for refreshments at Max Bar in Plainfield. At around 7 p.m., they both left the bar, got into a car, and drove away. The hunters, along with the car that Burgess was driving, were never seen again, and none of... Oh, weird. Yeah, and uh, no trace of them was ever found. What? Travis and Burgess had been hunting on the farm next to Gein's, despite his objections on the day of their disappearance. The car wasn't even found. Yeah. That's strange. Were there bodies of water nearby? Or do we know? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Gein had also been tentatively linked to a disappearance of his neighbor, James Walsh, who was 32. Walsh and his wife lived near Gein, who performed chores for her after her husband went missing. So her husband, James Walsh, goes missing. Mm -hmm. And Gein goes over there to help her out and do chores for her. I see. At her house. Gein was also investigated for potential involvement in the disappearance of Irene Keating, age 30, who was last seen in Plainfield, and in the attempted abduction of Judy Rodenkal, age 16, from Auroraville. Oof. So there's a few other people in there who, you know, disappeared at the same time that yeah. Gein was doing this. Because he was, it's he was active from 1946 
1957 when he was caught. Okay. So these are kind of all the disappearances that happened in that area. That are unsolved. In the in between that time that are unsolved. Got exactly. it. So as I said, Gein was arrested on November 21st, 1957, and he was arraigned in the Washara County Court on one count of first-degree murder for Bernice Warden's killing. What about Mary Co- Cogan? No, he did. I'll, I'll get into it. Oh, okay. He wasn't charged with that. Um, mm. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and was actually found not fit to stand trial in his current mental state. Oh, wow. Gein was sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now uh, the Dodge Correctional Institution. It's a maximum security facility in Wapun, Wisconsin. He was later transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. So it was difficult to discern when he was sent there, but it sounds like he went to Central State Hospital and then he goes on trial in 1968. Okay. Like he's finally found to be fit to stand trial. So um, from 57 to 68, so like nine or how many, 11 years? 57 to 68, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't until 1968 that doctors determined Ed Gein fit for trial. Uh, a formal trial began on November 7th, 1968, and went on for one week without a jury at the request of the defense. Hmm. Uh, it was presided over by Judge Robert H. Golmar. And during the trial, a psychiatrist testified that Gein couldn't fully discern if Warden's death was intentional or accidental. Gein tried saying that a gun accidentally shot her while he was in the hardware store that morning. A gun accidentally shot her, decapitated her, and flayed her like a deer? Whoops! He said he did not point the gun at her and didn't really remember anything else from that morning. Likely story, I don't... Yeah, that doesn't sound... Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand why the defense was even going to try to say that. I think he was just grasping at straws to say Yeah, it's weird because he already admitted to it. Right. Judge Golmar eventually found Gein not guilty by reason of insanity. And he was committed back to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane where he spent the rest of his life. Oh, wow. Gein died at the Mendota Mental Institute due to respiratory failure from lung cancer on July 26, 1984. He was 77 years old. Hmm. Gein was never tried for Mary Hogan's murder, uh, which, he had had, which he had admitted to because the state allegedly saw it as a waste of money. Because he was already found not guilty by way of insanity for the first one Mm -hmm. they thought ed gein was insane and would be in institutions for the rest of his life which he was but but still you want like justice for mary i was just gonna say but it sounds to me like a lot of people did not get justice yeah in this uh even loved ones of the deceased women whose graves he desecrated yeah none of he was they're just like oh he's insane lock him up and without actually you know that's not right finding him guilty of murder um, the Gein house burned down on March 20th, 1958. Arson, Did someone set it? Oh, I was going to say someone set it on fire. Arson was suspected, but never proven. And uh-huh. it didn't seem like anyone cared at the time because the fire chief was Frank Warden, Bernice's son. Oh, yeah. Whose mother was murdered by Gein. He's like, so what? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I do wonder, though, if, if they would have hoped that that would have been, pres- the house would have been preserved in case they needed to go back and look for more evidence. I don't think i think pretty quickly they just pulled everything out and he admitted to it and it was all kind of quick okay and i think they took all the stuff that he you know all the stuff with the skin on it and disposed of it like they took pictures of it but and but they disposed it uh, after that as well there's one piece they didn't dispose of because it is in zach bagan's the haunted what is it in las vegas the nipple belt no Uh but it is a piece of human skin oh my god and it's rough that yeah, room was rough i don't love that due to the case's popularity gein's grave was located in plainfield cemetery buried next to his family it was vandalized consistently sure. yeah. with pieces chipped off of the gravestone gravestone due to the popularity of the case mm-hmm. people were coming by and chipping off pieces because they to wanted a the souvenir ew yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fucked up 
the gravestone was stolen in 2000 and then recovered near Seattle, Washington in June 2001. Oh, wow. The grave is now unmarked and the gravestone lives in storage at the Washara County Sheriff's Office. Hmm. Now, why are we talking about this story, Kate? Tell us. Why? Gein's legacy lives on in popular culture and cinema. For starters, uh, Gein's story is somewhat evoked by the 1959 novel Psycho by Robert Block, which was turned into a movie by Hollywood horror icon Alfred Hitchcock Mm -hmm. in 1960. We all know Psycho, or most of us know Psycho. And if you don't, you should go watch the original. You should go watch it because it's so fucking good. Norman Bates owns a cheap motel and lives in a big old house up on a hill behind the motel. Mm-hmm. Phoenix secretary <laughs> Marion Crane embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client and goes on the run. <sighs> she checks into the Bates motel, but does not check out. I was trying to figure out if I remember what that sound was. It's a pluck. I like the plucking of a guitar that you did. Yeah, I don't know Kate, what was happening. Kate's version of Psycho is like a it's bluegrass. A, like, I am from Kentucky. Yeah, right. I was just there for the holidays. So, yeah, it's I've got the Kentucky in me right now. I love it. <laughs> the Give me Kentucky my banjo. bourbon. Kate and I pull out our banjos and drink some whiskey. <laughs> That actually sounds nice. I mean, yeah, we've got some, we've got all that here. Do you have a banjo? Well, it's at my mom's. Oh, okay. But yeah, we do have one. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh, the places will go. <laughs> Kentucky. So uh, Marion Crane is at this hotel. There she encounters Norman Bates, a seemingly meek and mild man that ends up murdering poor Marion in the shower. You know the scene, you know the knife, you think my god i was trying to make a joke and i fucked it up (laughs) you know the scene you know the knife you think about it in the shower yikes that's awful cut that too kate we find that norman is (laughs) trying or leave it i don't give a shit um We find that Norman is trying to embody his dead mother, Mm -hmm. whom wants nothing more than to rid the world of uncouth women. Uncouth. Uncouth. Have you seen Psycho Kate? I wrote this as a question. (laughs) Wow. I can't. Have you seen Psycho Kate? (laughs) I would love to read your notes someday. I have seen it. Yes, me too. (laughs) So I... Do you like it? Revelatory. Um, I don't think I fully appreciated it until I watched it as an adult because I did feel like I saw it quite young and was like, ooh, what's all the hype about? Mm. But then I feel like when you see it now, I appreciate it more. When I worked at Universal Studios as a tour guide, we had to learn like every Universal movie and everything that's on that lot. And so the tour goes by the Bates Motel and the Psycho House and they have like the car in the back, like in the parking really lot cool. or whatever. It was it was cool. I liked that attraction there. In Florida, Universal Studios, my parents took me once and they had a, a Psycho attraction. It wasn't open that day, I don't think. I think mm-hmm. it was like a live show or something where they just pick a member of the audience and, and them. murder them maybe in a shower oh. anywho yes i would also recommend um there's a series i forget what channel it was on but it was with vera farmiga and yeah. freddie highmore yeah yeah was it called bates motel bates motel yeah. yeah so it's a prequel series kind of to the movie yeah. um if you want to know more about psycho and its production and history i highly recommend the podcast inside psycho from wondery okay it's a huge deep dive into the making of the movie the the first episode is all about ed Gein. oh cool and yeah it's the same i think it's the same person because wondery also did inside the exorcist oh okay So they have like a podcast series where they do deep dives on these movies there's cool. also a halloween one i think mm. Um, But yeah, I would say check that out. We'll link it in the show notes. I have it as part of my um, sources. So it turns out that Robert Block, who wrote the Psycho book, was not aware of the Ed Gein story. Really? Yeah. He wrote the book in 1959. Ed Gein had been arrested in 57. He just, he didn't really know much about it. You'd think he would. Huh. Okay. So Paula Gurren reviews Block's book Mm -hmm. and says it wasn't, he didn't know the Gein story, but 
block was inspired by, okay, so your next door neighbor could be this horrible monster that, you know, is unsuspecting and you don't even know. Like what we were saying before yeah. about being behind closed doors. So when, when more details of the Gein case did come out, because not all of the details I think mm-hmm. came out at one time back in the late 50s, Block was surprised to discover how closely oh, Gein okay. and Norman Bates were interlocked. So much so... It well in both the crimes and his motivations, and he actually inserted a line alluding to Gein in one of the final chapters of the book to create a parallel. I so see. like when he wrote the whole st- when he planned the story, he didn't know about the Gein okay. case, but then he was like, "Oh shit, this it sounds exactly like my character." Mm-hmm. So he like alluded to Gein in a final chapter of the. Isn't book. that weird that like his idea and Ed Gein existed in the same time? Yeah. It's kind of freaky. It is scary. Yikes. Hitchcock has been upfront about the fact that Norman was Block's creation. And he simply adapted him for the screen. I see. I think because that movie was so popular, people were like, oh my God, Hitchcock, this character. And he's Mm. like, no. Okay. Like, Block wrote that character. I just adapted him for the screen. And the, you know, the performance of the actor. Gein was more popular when the movie came out rather than the book. Because the book came out a year before. Okay. I think what I'm trying to say here is like the book came out. Obviously, Block eventually knew about Gein. But everything, I think it wasn't fully like part of being talked about in society sure. like widely until the movie came out. Sure. Because people that makes were like, sense. oh, this Gein case, this guy's obsessed with his mom. It sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, Psycho, Norman Bates. Like, it, I, it was attaching more of that to the movie than it was the book. And I mm-hmm. think Hitchcock was like, no, no, no. Like, this guy wrote this story. It's it's I not see. just my movie. Like, right, I, right. I get so, it. Do you hear it? Okay. And it says here that Gein may have played a slightly larger role in inspiring Anthony, per- Anthony Perkins's performance as Norman Bates. Thank you for saying Anthony Perkins, because the last 10 minutes, I was like, what was that guy's name? And I could not think of it. It was like yeah. the tip of my tongue. Yes. And Janet Lee plays yes. Marion Crane, and Janet Lee is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Yes, and the blood was chocolate sauce. Delicious. <laughs> So moving on to the next film that was inspired, and I would say that this one was more directly, like, Gein influenced, Mm -hmm. definitely, which is Toby Hooper's insanely popular cult classic movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Which really gets into the meat of Gein's story. Ooh, I didn't even realize I wrote that. I'm so clever and disgusting. (laughs) So particularly the skin mask and the macabre home environment that the characters discover in Toby Hooper's film. The movie came out in 1974, and the premise is as follows. I don't like writing premises, so I take them from IMDb. This one is, (laughs) as people know, this one is written by Derek O'Kane. Thank you, Derek O'Kane. Yep. The year is 1974. A group of five close friends are heading through the back roads of Texas en route to their grandfather's potentially vandalized grave. Among them are Sally Hardesty and her brother Franklin, who is disabled and in a wheelchair. They encounter an unpleasant hitchhiker named Neil, who slashes both himself and Franklin with a wicked-looking knife. The others manage to eject the hitchhiker from the vehicle, but shortly afterwards, they are forced to stop and wander over to a small, sinister clapboard house nearby in hopes for gas. What none of them realize is that in this house is the home of the ghoulish Leatherface and his evil, demented family of cannibalistic psychopaths. Mm -hmm. One at a time, the teens are murdered by Leatherface in horrifying ways. Sally soon finds herself an involuntary guest at Leatherface's home and flees into the night to escape the demented cannibal and his loudly buzzing chainsaw. Can she escape the grim fate that befell her friends and brother? Can she? Watch the movie and find out. Toby Hooper, who directed this, grew up in Texas, and in a 1997 documentary interview... He talked about the inspiration for the movie, and he said that he had heard stories of Gein's crimes from family members that lived nearby. Mm. Can you imagine with Ed if Ed Gein was your neighbor? Oh, yuck. Oh. He said, I grew up with that 
as like a campfire tale, mm. um, a horror tale you tell in the woods, he said. I don't really know the man's name. I didn't even know about Ed Gein. I just knew about something that happened that was horrendous. But that image really stuck, and I grew up with that kind of burning in my mind. The film features an opening narration implicitly suggesting that elements of the plot actually happened in, quote, one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. But in reality, the film merely borrowed elements uh, from Gein's case. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first saw it, I had to look it up and I was like, is this based on a true story? Like, is this happening? It's an intense movie. Mm -hmm. It's really intense. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but it is hard to watch. Mm -hmm. And there, it does do a really good job of kind of keeping you at a very high level of anxiety and tension. Mm -hmm. And that scene where they're in the dining room. I was just going to say, that's the one thing, that's the scene that sticks out in my mind. I mean, that's the scene that they put, I think, on like the most scary scenes in horror movies on that Shutter Mm. series. But I remember I read a little bit about that recently and they shot that in Texas, like Mm -hmm. during the summer. So it was like high nineties crazy. And like they had to use black curtains to block out the sun in the house. So it was just sweltering in there when they were filming that scene. And like the close-ups of Sally's eyes, like, basically going insane were like pretty much real because they were like she's probably about to pass out right from heat exhaustion my goodness it's terrifying then on to jonathan demi or dem d-e-m-m-e i think it's demi demi jonathan demi's 1991 film silence of the lambs Mm -hmm. this has become well known for its depiction of the charismatic and terrifying serial killer slash cannibal Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the central plot of the film focuses on agent Clarice Starling's hunt for Buffalo Bill, who's a killer that attacks overweight women and skins their corpses. Silence of the Lambs is based on a book of the same name by Thomas Harris, which was published in 1988. The character of Buffalo Bill is based on actually like a culmination, like combination of American serial killers. Okay. um, Including Jerry Brudos, who was a killer and necrophile who strangled four women in Oregon and then dressed up in their clothing. Uh, Ted Bundy, a serial killer that lured women by pretending to be injured or needing help. Mm Mm-hmm. Gary M. Heidnick, who kidnapped, raped, and tortured six women in Philadelphia and held them in a pit in his basement. Um, Edmund Kemper, who was known as the co-ed killer, who killed his grandparents as a teenager just to see what it felt like. And then Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer, who dumped the bodies of his first five victims into the Green River and was also known for inserting foreign objects into the corpses. And Ed Gein. That's a lot. I didn't realize that. I didn't either. I didn't know that it was like an amalgamation of like all of these different serial killers, famous killers Mm -hmm. in American history. But I see that now. Yeah. But there's also a lot of like crossover with some of these. Sure. In in regards to like, you know, they killed women, Mm -hmm. family members. Anyway. Thomas Harris took inspiration from Gein's obsession with corpse mutilation and desire to become his mother through a collection of women's skin. Mm. He explored that motivation and those crimes in order to come up with a killer so obsessed with like with femininity that he kills to create a skin suit and be reborn as a woman. That was like his mm. motivation for Buffalo Bill in that I story. See. Which is really interesting. And so, you know, there are many other films out there that borrow from Gein's story. And these are just three of them. They're the kind of the main ones that really focus on parts of it. I think there are comprehensive lists out there with other movies, which I'll I'll link in my show notes if you Mm want to take a look at this. I don't want to go into too many more. Sure. Just these are the big ones that got inspired in Hollywood. And of course, the Wondery Inside Psycho podcast is really great. So... Some of the horror genre tropes and stories that we're all familiar with have a basis in Ed Gein's story. Skin suits, masked killers, like redneck monsters, corpse mutilation. There was so much horror and also a deep and macabre sadness that led to this absolutely deranged behavior. Mm. And it's fascinating and also horrific. And I can see why filmmakers would be drawn to Mm. sort of using these 
you know, using this story of a man losing his grip on reality and committing unspeakable, murderous, and invasive acts. Mm-hmm. Gein has gone down in history as one of America's most famous serial killers. And that is the story of Ed Gein and the movie characters he inspired. That was gross. Thank you. I told you. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just some of the parts that they found, like the lips for the, like, what was it on the, or the, the, the string on the light cord or whatever? Or or was it the blinds? Blinds. It was like, yeah, like a window shade. He's like using these things mm-hmm. as like... decor and stuff and like the skulls on the bedpost and i i'm still baffled by the vulvas i feel like that's some kind of like issue against women some hatred well i think absolutely because like not i mean he loved his mother and his mother loved him but he and she instilled in him such a such an intense hatred of women. I was going to say, I mean, did he love her and also hate her? Like, was there a sense of... He might have. ...resentment towards her? I don't know. I mean, but he also, he was doing this because he wanted to be her as well. That's just, I don't even, I don't even know the psychology of all of that. That is Yeah, I don't know either. And I mean, he did eventually get diagnosed with schizophrenia Mm. um, when he was at the mental institution in between, you know admitting and going to trial yeah so i feel like mental illness had a part to play in some aspects Uh but again like that psychology of like codependency and attachment i don't i don't know i can't speak to it but yeah i feel like there's a lot there that you can unpack for sure for sure. If anyone wants to take a chance at unpacking it all, you can leave us a comment on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Horrorwood Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email at Horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also jump over to Patreon if you have some loose change in your pocket and you want to give it away at, at patreon.com <laughs> slash Horrorwood Podcast. Woo! Woo! Don't do murder and don't Don't make a skin suit. Don't do that. Okay, bye. Bye.